Welcome back, everyone. What a treat we have for you today. We are with Julian Smith. Julian is, this feels like a real blast from the past for me because we spoke with him 10 years ago on the original Propane Fitness podcast, and it was literally recorded through a potato. Like we we found a 3.5 millimeter audio jack, plugged it into a potato, and spoke through that. And I'm surprised that anyone even listened to it. But um, it was really because we discovered Julian's book back then called The Flinch. And Hmm. I think for him even, it was a bit of an unexpected success, but it had a profound impact on the way that we see the world. Hmm. And the the main premise of the book, and you can listen back to the potato recording if you have to, but it's embarrassing to be honest, um, is that we are faced with things in life that generally we flinch away from. We have a flight response. And the the point of the lessons in the book is you're training to flinch forward into a fight in a socialized way and then finding bigger and bigger fights as you become stronger and better at it. And the analogy that's always stuck with me was when boxers train, they they learn not to be afraid of incoming punches because if a boxer flinched away from a punch every time one came, they'd end up getting absolutely slammed. And uh, so that that was an amazing book. We got in touch with Julian back then. And the, there's been a huge amount of developments in where he's gone in his life over the last 10 years. And I think some of the stuff has really converged with um, stuff we want to talk about today, stuff that will help you as a coach. And I would recommend going back and having a, a look at his book as well. You know, some books become less relevant over time. This one has absolutely become more relevant. Uh, Julian really spotted this trend that we've seen over the last 10 years, the recent culture of fragility and adaptive compliance and just generally being softer as as people. And it's a lesson that is very much needed. So since then, Julian has set up Practice, which is a, a business management platform for coaches, basically. And I think it stands apart from a lot of the coaching platforms that you see online because Julian walks the walk. He's someone who's a very clear thinker, but also actually it's very clear that he's set this up to solve his own problem. Um, so Julian, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Hopefully that uh, adequately covers some of the stuff that you've been up to, but I, I'm keen to know how things have progressed since we since we spoke 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you choose the worst photo and and then you upload it onto YouTube. Then you send it back to me. And I'm like, oh God, I I want to do it. I want to do it again. But now I had to do it again. <laughs> Just to redeem that photo that we put in. Just to redeem of. the photo, yeah. I was like, but look. And then you say, Oh, but I still had hair. It's 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 eight years. You know, that's that's a those are good things have happened. And so I'm an unusual person in as much as my career actually switches in the opposite direction and switches, uh, I would often divide the world between talkers and doers. And this is a really reductionist way of doing things. And in 2014, I had just done that sort of switch from being primarily a talker. I had just written, I'd written three books. Flinch was my second book. And, uh, and even today, like literally yesterday, randomly someone couldn't find me other than on LinkedIn and messaged me, your, your book should be taught in schools. Uh, and it just, so it's, it's great that that happens. Meanwhile, 
that very sort of challenge that I had written to myself, I used and we talked about how I ultimately became an operator of a venture-backed business. That business breather, I think, probably had raised $6 million when we had first talked about it. And it went on with me as CEO to raise $150 million, and I had a really large team, 10 cities, all these things. And then I ultimately realized I was running a, a, a tech but very real estate business. And I found myself not so motivated by that. I moved onto the board. I became a chairman, and we hired an internal CEO for it. And uh, and so that's that is yeah, it's that switch from being a uh, a talker to a doer, which I was actually super anxious about. But I was keep in mind that that book Flinch is specifically about conf- confrontation, and. And I was sort of pre-confronting myself with my own anxieties and saying, well, you have this great idea and you think it's going to be good, but you've never done any of these, of these things before. And you have no sense. And you, you don't have a network of people because I don't know uh, the people with background of people that listen to this, but I didn't, I didn't go to Stanford and I didn't go to Y Combinator and I don't have friends who have I, – I, my father was an executive coach, as I am some, a part of the time today, but like – that's the closest to entrepreneurship that I had seen in my life. And so to me, out there was a writer then. So uh, I think that that transition is a transition that is actually really amazing because it, it forces you to, to so, so to speak, switch careers. They, they used to talk about having switch careers every seven years or every 10 years or something like that. And, and people have a number of them, but each one of them is like a weird, like transformation and like also a crisis and all these things. My executive coach at that time said, you narrowly avoided an existential crisis by being able to say, okay, well, you're kind of like you had written books. And I thought at the time I was never going to write a book better than Flinch in my mind. And I was like, when I have a new idea, I'll put another idea out there. And so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up running uh, venture-backed companies into practice, which you just talked about, raised $10 million from Andrews and Horowitz a few months ago. And we're out kind of just building a team, man, and, uh, and out there trying to help as many people as we can. That's amazing. Some big numbers being thrown around as well. I imagine it, it starts to feel like you, you, you're starting off on this, like, um, little soapbox cart and then suddenly you've got this nitro booster behind you and you're like whoa okay i'm at the helm of uh, quite a lot of quite a lot of resource and capital here um yeah. and the, the thing that you you i guess you preempted this a little bit in your in your book about this phenomenon of talkers and doers and you said something along the lines of there being lots of commentators and coaches but there's there's not enough actual players and i suppose mm-hmm. when you when you battle test system and you you actually test it against the market you learn a lot more lessons than if you were to be sat theorizing about it and Mm -hmm. i think this is one of the big points of paralysis that a lot of coaches we work with have Mm. is that they'll spend ages building up this program in their mind and everything's all about the the pre-launch and they're meticulously planning everything but they haven't got any clients and they haven't actually Mm -hmm. started delivering something and i think one of the the big roles of of us and a very simple lesson is just pushing someone being like just just go and get a client start doing something and you'll learn so much more from the feedback you get and working with someone than you could ever from sitting out with spreadsheets at home trying to to preempt everything especially because the work is not in the spreadsheet 
right? Especially with <laughs> with uh, with fitness and nutrition coaching, it's you, they, you are given a spread. I've been given a number of spreadsheets in my time from this type of this type of coach, right? And then literally nothing. <laughs> that's that's ten percent of what happens. So you're right, and that experience is all about the the psychology of of the client. I think really. And the psychology of the coach, because if you have somebody who you have people who will obsess over the protein timing and the how well periodized the the dynamic effort day is in their client's program and all this, and actually ninety percent of the stuff you're dealing with day to day with a client is trying to get them to go to the gym. You know, they've they've yeah. had a late Friday night and they've slept in and you try and they haven't hit their calories and they've had one too many beers and and it's actually just behavioral management and and yeah. because. As coaches, we really enjoy the the fiddly stuff. We assume that our clients are struggling with the same stuff, and very rarely is that the case. Hmm. So, you said that you've you've received lots of this stuff from from coaches as well. Have so you you've you've hired many coaches in the past for different parts of your life, presumably. Yeah, I have, uh, and so uh, I mean. And some of them are name brands that like, like, for example, you had Stuart McGill on the show. I, Stuart McGill is my like back guy. He's an absolute so, Yeah. 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 And so for he's, he's a, one example, but he's not a fitness coach in the same sense. But, uh, and then you have these, uh, like someone that I'll, I'll sort of call out that I've always liked and that I worked with is Andy Morgan. And so there's a bunch of other people like that, that are sort of in the space and that, uh, I, I think that I was always open to it because I, uh, in the eighties, like my father was a career coach and an executive coach my, my whole life. And, and from the age he was very, I, he had, I was born when he was 50, 51, but for a 40 year career of, of coaching. So I grew up in that space and I grew up in more of the life coaching. Actually, Tony Robbins is one of my investors now, which is ironic, but like I grew up in that space with that kind of book around me during really like this revolution and this huge expansion in coaching in general and, uh, and a little bit of this, the sort of development of the self-help movement. And so, um, because of that, I didn't have the sort of, I don't know that it's an East coast or West coast thing, but I always found that when I was on the West coast, there was this openness to coaching and to, to more experience and being able to advance your thinking and other things like that. And, and so I never had that. Uh, so, uh, I had a, an executive coach, an exec coach while I was a writer from maybe even when I worked on flinch or before, I'm not quite sure. Um, and, uh, then I kept one all the way throughout the time that I had, um, that I ran breather as CEO. So we're talking about years and years and years and years of, of, uh, executive coaching, which you need to survive <laughs> as, as a, a venture back CEO. And this is like a, my clients are only first time CEOs. That's all that I do. And I only do a small number of them. And so, uh, people like that, uh, I don't think that's what that's what people don't realize. I think on this podcast, I think people come to grip with it, but but people are not successful on their own. There is this image of people that are successful on their own, but out there, and I know them because I know all of their coaches now, all those those CEOs that are that are like we're not I'm not talking about Jack Dorsey specifically, but the Jack Dorsey level around more or less and a little bit below that Jack Dorsey level. Like those are all people that have executive coaches and there's like 10 of them 
probably in Silicon Valley. And now there's many more in that ecosystem because coaching is developing hugely in Silicon Valley too. That's fascinating because I think you're absolutely right. There's such a sense of, well, I, I don't need a coach. Like I can figure this stuff out on my own. Like, and, and actually, especially if you are in some, if you're in a similar space, if you are a coach yourself and you don't have a coach, what are you signaling to the world? You're saying, right. what I do has no value. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> and I do not believe in the. And it's interesting because there's a guy, Ryan Begelman, who used to be the CEO of uh, Summit Series, which is like a, a well-known event for like, I don't even know how to describe it. You got to look it up, but they, they used to like, they, they used to do like events on, on yachts and so on. It, it was, it's just a crazy, crazy event. And so the CEO became an executive coach a number of years ago. And he himself is an extreme version of the opposite of what you're talking about, which is everything that the dude does not need money. And he, uh, he everything that he makes out of executive coaching he then brings back and does lessons of his own with other people. And so he's actually spending all of his executive coaching money on his own coaching. That's the extreme end of it when the dude has other sources of income. But it's true. There's still a number of people that don't have coaches, even though they are one themselves. And yet you get such a return on it. And it's so interesting as well. You're saying that like when you see behind the curtain and you look at these CEO guys that look like they're totally self-made, and then you're like, oh, actually, that guy was his coach, and he was his coach. Mm-hmm. And there's always like, we, Johnny and I joke that there's like, there's probably a guy at the top of the mountain who like coached Tony Robbins, and then the guy who coached him. And like, we, the goal is to eventually go to the like the caves and mountains in Nepal and find <laughs> the guy who's in the special robe, and he's like <laughs> the, the ultimate Uber coach, the yeah, Uber but... coach, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I suppose like, you didn't have that. Um, resistance to it because of your family background and, and so on. I think that's a huge advantage to to actually have your ego in check and to say, do you know what? There's something I can learn from any of these people and it accelerates my my progress. And then you've seen that from both sides of it as well by the sound of it, in the sense that you've been a coach and you've been coached. Are there any lessons you've learned from being able to see both of those angles? I will say that as as a CEO it is amazing to see very intimately into other people's businesses. So that's that's as a that's as an operator of a in in, my, in venture. Like they tend to think of people as investors or operators, and so I'm primarily an, what they would call an operator of a business. And so to be an operator and to watch other people in their own struggles. And having run a number of venture-backed businesses now before, you can then look at other people and be like, man, I remember that. Or like, yeah, that issue. And so much of it is about um, what I would refer to as muscle memory, where, uh, for example, I'm I'm not strictly coaching them through a financing, but it's people that I coach that happen to be raising money, right? Literally, there's kind of two and a half of them right now. And... They're like, how should I say this? What should I say to this person? How should I say this? I just received this thing. And I'm like, here's the process. And I just literally run them through it because it's automatic to me at this point. When I remember having existential crises uh, about uh, raising my first like 500K or whatever, like eight years ago, maybe. And so as an operator to run a business and then to also be able to see in other people's businesses is incredibly it gives a sense of calm because you're able to then look at people and go, ah, okay. Like this is like, this is normal. Like the ups and downs, like 
back to back to the flinch and and the emotional thing that happens whenever you're sort of confronting yourself at the edges of the known or whatever uh you you you're you're kind of aware that you've been through it before and you you know what this feeling is and even though this feeling feels good bad really now like bad now maybe you could adjust it maybe you could compare it to like hunger when you're at the low body fat levels or something and you're like, ah, yes, this feeling hunger. You're like, this is uncomfortable, but you're like, this is a part of the process and I have an objective. And so just as an operator, that's super useful. And then as a coach who also has been coached, I will say that, uh, there are two, there's a number of different types. It's like the person who's like primarily the therapist and, and navigating you that way. Then the person who's principally really good technically, who is really good at navigating you that way. But it, it, it's such a set of skills, as you say, that isn't just one unique thing, but like probably four or five different skill sets or more, all of which are required to get as much as possible client success. And then the final thing is, is you've got to let go of the outcome. And it's difficult to let go of the outcome because you're not ultimately in control of the client. And you can never be in control of the client. You do your best, but it's not you. Yeah, some great lessons there. It's the, this thing about finding the right coach for the job, like the right coach that solves the problem that's in front of you right now, um, as well as, I suppose, recognizing what what is my current problem. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, I don't know, help, I'm stuck in it. Um, and then the, 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 the first thing you said of, don't worry, bro, I've been there this is this is normal you're supposed to feel like this and and that's okay and the, at least for, for johnny and i it took us a lot of getting over a lot of pride and ego to recognize that oh actually hang on like we're not the first humans to exist and have this problem ever in the world like someone has mm. probably had a variation of this problem before and we can sit and scramble around on our own because hiring a coach is too expensive but actually that's probably the time that you take trying to figure it out from first principles on your own is way more expensive than just finding someone who can fast track you. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it is so interesting because a lot of the coaching type is the self is, is the self doer, right? Where they go, Oh, uh, I, I, I know how to do this. Like I know how to count these things and I know how to, you know, it, it's, it's things that are so automatic because you tend to want to get in the weeds uh, but but the psychology element, it is simply not possible to get around your own psychology. And, and Flinch is about that, right? That book is really about, okay, here is a meta, here's a frame around your own psychology that is useful when you are in, I don't want to say an emotional state, but let's say a state where you're, you're making suboptimal decision-making. Mm. Well, you're a bit kind of that, uh, tunnel visioned or you just haven't, you, yes. you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, the equivalent of like during, during, uh, anxiety attacks, one of, they say, one of the things they say to you is, is I think it's called the five senses exercise. And the, the, the objective of that is, uh, and, and if anyone has ever, or feels like using this, they can, I get to, you know, but I think it's quite common is there's five senses. And so when you're having an anxiety attack, you go ahead and, uh, you just, you feel a thing. You smell a smell, you taste a thing, you look at something out there, and then you hear 
some noise that's in the environment. And ostensibly, the job is to bring you back down from this heightened adrenaline, whatever state, right? And so flinch is a little bit like that. It's, it's intended to, to optimize decision making around long-term con good consequences versus short-term good consequences a little bit. I like that. So, yeah, having a, a protocol in place for when this happens, I'm going to send my senses outwards, ground myself, reset, make a better decision rather than just mm -hmm. running around panicking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I guess this this experience that you've had of both sides of it, <clears throat> stepping up the 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 ladder and riding this um, what do we call it this this vehicle this roller coaster of of la large amounts of <laughs> of funding and and the software business, um, this has led you to solving your own problem, which which is this uh, the coaching problem, the fact that there isn't really a tool to integrate everything into one place with practice. Can you talk to us about how this came about and what's what's led you to this point? Yeah, it's interesting because I I would um, I would talk to coaches that had very successful practices in the early days of this, and you would hear all kinds of stories from these super successful, like really unusual, like Olympia uh, kind of like like winning people that were really had had successful had been successful themselves and then coached other people underneath them or all these other things and they would say things like uh, oh I, I spent a million dollars trying to trying to make a thing and I just I just couldn't get there right and so uh, whatever the number is uh, it's what happens is there's a lot of people trying to solve their own problem. And uh, there's a number of different things out there, and I'm sure you've used – different pe people use all kinds of different software for this. Uh, but I had had the unique experience of uh, of my father having been a coach, of, my, of having been coached like a huge number of times, of uh, being a sort of part-time, sort of on-the-side exec coach for a, num a few number – a uh, small number of people. And so – and I was looking at this space, and I thought, solopreneurs are not respected, like in terms of software. And the reason that is, is because team revenue is so attractive. It's sort of a meta thing. But mm. when people when people build software, they build software like Slack, which is great and which we use. But that's the kind of software that's built because team revenue is so attractive. You could sell into a team and then even if a few of them hate it, it doesn't matter because they, they stick back in. And so you end up with only a few pieces of software that are at scale that are able to really serve that one person because that one person is not respected that much because they're in, in candidly, they all, they all want different things and they're really hard to satisfy and uh, they're a single person. So it's not that much revenue. Like what are you going to make off of one dude? And for answer, answer for us is 24 bucks for now, right? Like, <laughs> it's, like it's really not that much money. Right. But, and so you need um, a lot of people to be able to, to do that. So it's not a revenue model that, is obvious to venture capital. And so the average person could not have gone out and just said to, but it's essentially the best venture fund, and, and say, give me $10 million, let's get Tony Robbins on board, and we're going to attack this, this, this set of people that really need this thing and for, for whom no software is really built of, of any materiality. And so I, I just... 
uh, they would call this in in my industry in venture, they would call this good founder market fit. Like I have an exceptional amount of coaches that I know. Like, like a, I know, I know a crazy. I, now I know, of course, many more. Like I must personally know. Like I feel like five hundred coaches or some crazy number like that. Even then, I probably knew through one degree of separation, probably a hundred and hundred fifty, right? And so. It's just like you have this insane broad experience. And so now all I do is I serve those people all day. And we onboard people onto our software. And we have a team of about 15 people. And it's growing. And uh, and we're just aiming to do it really well. And, and because building software is very different than trying to build a program. It's basically the saying like anything someone wants to put in, into one of those Excel spreadsheets we just talked about. It's just like, let's go ahead and try and make that into software that is not just an Excel sprite, but that's super easily navigable on your phone or whatever else. So that's that's what we do today. Interesting. Because then you've got this trade-off of, do you try and build something that's really feature-rich and try and appeal to everyone and make everyone happy and have all these bells and whistles? Or do you do what you've done, which I think is really... So I've just spent the last two weeks trying all the different fitness, PT software for coaches. Mm -hmm. So Trainerize, PT Distinction, My PT Hub, Train Heroic, Fitter. Mm -hmm. I think I tried 12 or 15 of them. And all of them are quite cool as pieces of software, but it's very clear that... You know, you can always tell when a piece of software is made in in the first instance, like you said, whether it's just made for enterprise and people are kind of mm-hmm. jimmy rigging it into using it for the individual, but it's not really made for it, or that it's not actually made by someone who is solving that problem. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And what what's ended up happening with a lot of these ones that I've tried, like they're cool bits of software. I can see why they would excite loads of personal trainers because they've got all these cool little features and stuff. But at the end of the day. You're coaching Margaret, who's 50, is terrible with technology, doesn't mm. care that this integrates with um, Fitbit and has AI voice recognition <laughs> and has these, like, extra, you know, the, like what, what you've done with practice is you've recognized that this is mm. a, the coaching is a people problem. And it's, and so you put yeah. the actual mm. simple interaction with people, booking a call, interacting with them, processing payments, and mm. leaving the, the kind of fiddly stuff to the mechanics of whatever they choose to do and that's why i like we've used google sheets for 12 years every time mm. we look at the software market we're like maybe there's something that's now better never because yeah. nothing has simultaneously the flexibility and the um the, the nimbleness of google sheets yeah. um and so for us we just have a simple communication platform and then something that's as much of a blank canvas as possible mm-hmm. because you're never going to be able to um, appeal to each coach's idiosyncrasies and what what variables they consider to be the most important to have on a weekly report or on a, mm-hmm. a check-in form or whatever so um, rather than trying to please everyone and not pleasing anyone i think going yeah. the route that you've done which is mm-hmm. keeping it minimal and simple makes the most sense yeah. to me it's also it's also why we decided to stay in beta for so long. We're still in beta today, right? So we don't accept everybody as a client. And we do an onboarding where we essentially judge fitness because because of the way software is built. And so this the, the, the reason person A, who I won't name, is like, I spent a million dollars trying to build software is because of the fact that uh, software, the, the combination is really hard. Like you need someone who who has what in our industry, they would dog food it, which means that they eat the dog food. And, and so because I, 
there's a number of us that are coaches or coached adjacent in in my company, but if it's not used by people inside the company, it's not going to serve those people. But then you have the opposite side, which is there's probably three sections. One is people that raise money enough to actually build a team of people that's good. And then there's people that are coaches, but that are not software people, so they can't build build things properly. And then you get stuck in like legacy software, which is when you build one of these things and it feels like it's 2013 is because it started in 2013 and the guy does not have the time to like just refactor the whole thing and then to build an iPhone app out of it. Because, and, then, and then after that, when you're done, well, he needs to build an Android app because sometimes the coach is on iPhone and the client is on Android or whatever. And yeah. so that, that set, that triangle of those three factors is really, really, really rare. And, and you need a lot of time to do it. And so it's true. It's, uh, it is a, that is why spreadsheets, by the way, are so powerful. It's why one of the most amazing inventions in the world, it's weird to think of a, a, a spreadsheet as an invention, but it is. And that's why it's so powerful is because of the flexibility. For sure. Um, with, with the people that you've worked with, with the, the customers, the, the coaches that you're serving, is there anything that you've spotted in terms of common patterns or lessons that you would say to our listeners? So anyone who we most, most people listening to this will either trainer on the gym, they'll either be a trainer on the gym floor or have done some, they've got some online clients, but they're struggling to, um, to scale things. Um, maybe they're at capacity with delivery, but usually, a, a, usually it's a marketing problem. Mm-hmm. Is there anything from seeing patterns with people you've worked with that you would say to them? So there, there's a huge uh, distinction between people. Immediately, someone either has no clients or they're, they have a wait list. So there's almost no in between. And that's because you're, it's difficult to scale the, the number of people in a business, and it's difficult to scale coaching. If I go after John Coach and I want to be working with him, working with someone underneath him, that person had better be high trust. And if there's 10 of them, then the connection with John, John not Johnny from your, on your side, but John on the, this theoretical or coach <laughs> is... Hypothetical uh, John. Yeah, that's right. He's completely disconnected. You're completely disconnected from this person you want to attack, uh, to, uh, talk, uh, to get coached by, when primarily it's the personal brand that matters because it's his experience or her experience and so on. And so you really end up with this, they have everything or they have nothing thing. And so the ability, I think, to transfer is going to be really powerful if we ever ultimately build it, which we're super interested in this idea of how to find someone who is, when someone has all this, no capacity but a giant wait list, it's someone who's really almost practically as good, right? In the same way, because I think about Andy Morgan, at the very beginning, Andy Morgan was specifically focused back in the day, many years ago, on intermittent fasting. And Martin Birkin was like the Ur coach. And and Andy Morgan was the sort of intermittent fasting coach light or something like that. That was true mm-hmm. to you or whatever. And and so uh so that that's a huge problem. The other thing is is uh, coaches do not know how to market themselves. And I think in a lot of cases they resent marketing. The people that like you, and there's a number of us in in the circle. The the person who I was really on my mind today, because we were talking about adherence, and I almost brought up Dan Go, who is like I think 
has a relatively high profile. So who's on a, a podcast that I, we did back in the, the day when we first started one on our side. And, and what's amazing about him is his ability to really just, just speak in the voice of the person that wants to hear it and to be super consistent on the marketing side. And he really has this super high end thing to like kind of really drive it here. And so he works again with entrepreneurs. That's, this is another thing is I think a lot of people sub market themselves because they are trying to serve the everyday person. And there's a number of them, you know, in venture, one of the other things that they often say is you you should double your prices. And so I, I would talk to, I talked to the founder of MakerBot many, many years ago. It's the first time someone said that specifically to me. And, and he was like, He's like, I don't know what your prices are, but double them. And he was right. And actually, we didn't. And I resented it. And then years later, they didn't even double, but they like tripled, quadrupled. And and still, the market was really. And we were selling, kind of, we were we were turning uh, office space into e-commerce. Is kind of like what we were doing then. And sure enough, the market drove double pricing, triple pricing, like all these other things. So similarly, an average coach is trying to serve a low-end client. And this is, I'm, now I'm just talking about the business. I'm not actually talking about the person that needs to be served because yes, like the 55-year-old mom or whatever that we mentioned earlier, this person is a client and a human being that is just as worthy of the coaching as anyone else. But from a business perspective, who you need to serve is a top decision maker who's probably closer to rich and uh, and they're going to be so blown away by the fundamental things that you just take for granted. I think that probably people are going to rise naturally and start serving this group. And, and it's one of the things that I often talk about. I actually, I don't really do executive coaching for money. I, I have a venture back business that I really do primarily. But when I price increase with my co- with my clients, which I have done in the past, there is effect a quasi zero resistance because there's they are CEOs and they're like this is valuable and and I could I I could I know that I could keep doing it because I know other people that are above market for me and so I think a lot of people are serving the wrong market when when they really what they really need is one good probably high end customer that would then drive other high end referrals and then yeah. the. I mean, I, I'm literally sorry, but I'm, I'm just like trying to I'm trying to sit, um, take all of this stuff that I've absorbed over literally like a year and a half of just talking to coaches every day. And then I uh, the God, there was another one. It'll come to me. Those are those are good examples of how how to drive business success uh, when most people are not that type of person. Right. And, yeah, and I'm an outsider too, and I get that that is weird, right? But but you kind of like uh, you have to get used to just a set of people that are just just ready to pay and and that just see the value immediately. Well, this your is thing the... is still magic. <laughs> well, th- this is it, and this is the value of having a niche, isn't it? That once mm-hmm. you are clear on who you're serving and what problem you're solving then you earn the right to increase your prices because you are solving a specific problem. And exactly as you said, one of the the biggest 
groups of coaches that we we take the mick out of and we say you, you really need to not do this is to say oh i do fat loss for busy professionals busy professionals isn't a niche but busy That's professionals right. yeah. is, is is a is everybody you know you what 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 problem are you solving for that and so one, mm-hmm. once you flip it from you know i work with women between 30 and 35 whatever it that's not a that's not a problem you know it's it you switch mm-hmm. it to the problem that you're solving instantly that is having a niche then you can charge a, a much higher price for it and all the mm-hmm. examples of coaches that you've given there have done exactly that and that and that's what allows them to be that first type of coach that has a large waiting list they can command the price that they want because there are people lining up to have that specific problem solved mm-hmm. um you know martin burkhan's a bit of a funny one because he was more of a um a visionary in yeah. in his field and it's quite difficult to be martin burkhan but andy morgan kino body a lot of people have taken stuff influenced from his stuff marketed it much better and done a lot better from it martin could have you know with and he because he was one of these like shooting star type people he could have done amazingly if he had embraced marketing and i think what happened was he had this resistance to marketing himself early on he charged high prices for personalized coaching and then people just continually ripped him off year after year until you know mm-hmm. he, he was going to launch a book and then someone i can't remember the name of the person now but they they ripped off his his book basically um turned franchised it and then by the time he launched his book it was a bit too late and then the bad timing with Alan, the Alan Aragon sex scandal and all that stuff too so um it's if you happen to be one of these people that has got a hundred thousand followers, two hundred thousand followers, and you've got a big waiting list, that's when you can scale. But mm-hmm. if it's a marketing problem and you're trying to offer fat loss for busy professionals and you're struggling to get any clients, I think what you've said there of narrow, like you know, counterintuitively narrow down what it is that you're yeah. serving, increase your prices, solve a specific problem, and then you're flying. And they, the, the, uh, Sorry, go they ahead. They call this, you're totally right. And, and we could go on like this. Like we do a whole other episode about the marketing of coaches and how to do it properly, right? Not that I have every solution, but uh, the um, there is there is this resistance. And when people, people are in love with their thing, their product or their service that they have, and they want to broaden, oh, I can help this person, I can help this person. Perhaps that is true. But there is a reason, and just in my case, as I think about it, I have tried to coach people that were not venture-backed or that were in, in a, a period of transition, right? Period of transition, I'm going from CEO to not CEO, and I maybe going to start another company, and I'm not sure. Now, I have done that, but that's not – there's a number of reasons why I'm probably not that person. And then I've coached people who have not raised venture funding, and again, we find ourselves at a price issue, and there's all these – so it's just like the more you narrow it down – they would call this uh, the tip of the spear. They would call it the way that the you will be able to get into the thing that you're doing. Once it's successful, feel free to broaden it. But in day one, narrow it as much as you possibly can. I work with Texans who have are Christian Texans. Like seriously, like you can narrow it so far down. And what's so effective about that, as you were in rant mode, it's my time, uh, is, is that you are speaking to a more and more precise person and they see themselves in you. And that doesn't work 
if you're uh, fat loss for busy professionals or whatever. This is exactly the sensation that you want someone to feel when they look at your landing page or they look at your your mm-hmm. profile is, oh my God, that's me. I feel seen. And when we look at our own buying behavior, that, that's why we buy things. Because you look at something and you're like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly the thing that I need. That's the exact... And then it it knocks out all objections in your mind. Um, you know, there's I know there's the analogy of the the plumber doesn't need to market hard to you because once he knows what your problem is and you have the problem, he's just the guy to fix it. There's there's very little resistance apart from like how long is he going to be until he comes around to the house. Mm. So yeah, I think this this tip of the spear analogy is is perfect. And then once you've established that, once you can then refine your offer based on the feedback that you get from people and you've got your waiting list filled up, that's when you can start to gradually broaden it. Um, but going in without a niche because you're thinking, oh, well, I need to appeal to everyone because I haven't got any clients is a backwards way to approach this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that, and we do, we do monthly uh, webinars where we interview coaches that have become successful. It's actually amazing how tactical the Q&A section becomes. Wait, hold on. In your legal contract, do you have a, this clause that allows you to do this? <laughs> and that's because... So much what what in coaching people talk about, oh, clients, and then you help people with it. But there's no like super tactic. Wait, hold on. How did you get the literal first client? Okay, then when that happened, let's say you coached them for free. How did you go from asking them from $0 to $1? How did that happen? Talk to me about the conversation. And that's actually going back to the whole thing about venture financing when I'm coaching people through today. Uh, that's why those tactical, I, I have texts on my phone just this moment that are like, they're like how I just got a X on a Y valuation from this fund. I've got this other fund conversation on Monday. How do I navigate? It's incredibly tactical. And that tactical stuff is what coaches need to hear from one another. It's, it's very often, there are these communities in some places, right? But these communities often, it's like there's not enough coaches talking to one another, really talking about the tactical things. And I think that there's there's a realm for that, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose this comes down to what you're saying about having a, a coach who is able to deal with the tactical, technical stuff, but also has the frameworks and has been there before and seen those patterns before. Because it's easy also to get stuck in the weeds about, you know, we, we did it with with our pricing years ago, we, we used, I mean, our first program was 10 pounds. So about, you know, about $15 right. or something. Um, mm. And then we increased it to 60, 70 pounds a month. And we were like, Oh, should we increase to 75? Or oh, I don't know, maybe it'll put people off. And, and now it's, now it's far more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were stuck in such, you know, and it's because of this tunnel vision, you need someone who's completely outside of your um, perspective to come in and just knock you out of your reference range. And the coach we hired got us to charge thousands for our for our coaching. We didn't end up continuing that model. We we switched up the, the way that we deliver it and went for mid-ticket, scaled it a bit better. But it just broke the barriers, the mental hurdle that we that we couldn't charge more than 70 pounds in a right. month. Um, right. And that was all we needed to be like, oh, actually, the, there's so much more options available here. Mm-hmm. I'm super at ease with people that begin that way. I just think that there is there's it's it's weird because in in self in in self development you have this simultaneous worship of money and hate of money at the same time. 
And people are like, oh, my God, these guys are so successful. They've done X. They've been on Y stage doing Z things, speaking in front of A people. And then they're like, oh, I don't know, 70 pounds seems about right. <laughs> like, oh. It's so you stupid know. when you look back on it. But, yeah, it's – so yeah. I, just just as a final question for you, Julian, I know you've got a, a meeting now. Um, can you can you comment on this phenomenon, this kind of um, – there's a there's – a, sentence which when i first heard it i thought it was quite glib of your business is or the state of your business is a reflection of the state of your mind and the more i reflect on that the more i realize oh actually it's just completely one for one true <laughs> every time yeah. Um, yeah the can you talk about some of the kind of psychodynamic stuff that goes on in people's minds anything that you struggled with as a as a coach as a ceo um I guess that the money one is a, is a big one. The mm -hmm. kind of tug of war, love, hate relationship with money. Is there anything else that comes to mind? I, I will say that in, in, a, in a company in which you have a whole bunch of employees, especially if you're accelerating it super fast, which many event, successful venture back businesses are accelerating insanely fast. Uh, whatever the weaknesses of the founder are, are ultimately the weaknesses of the business. And so it's what you're talking about, but even worse because <laughs> Uh, if you're avoidant, the whole company is going to learn to be avoidant from you because guess what? You're God to them, sort of. You're their CEO. Mm -hmm. You came up with the idea, and now you're executing on it. On, and then you, and they just, you just leave, and then suddenly you come back, and you're like, hey, $50 million. And they're like, what the? How did this happen? And so, and so whatever you are showing is what will ultimately get expressed. Uh, I will say that uh, probably a lot of coaches and I sometimes find myself that Mike, Michael Bungay Stanier, who's a originally Australian coach, but who, who coaches, uh, he, has, he has a number of books that are super good. Do more great work. Amazing book and really short little workbook that you can find anywhere. And the coaching habit is one of them that I refer to often. And maybe you could put them in the notes or something at the end. We'll talk about them. Uh, he would often talk about this as being the advice trap where so much of what you need to be doing in coaching is actually mirroring versus uh, trying to solve their problem too aggressively for them. Because it is a psychological problem, often they need to get through it in their own way rather than you enforcing some way of doing things on top of them. Uh, and so it, it, it's I'll say that the other thing that is true that is nice is when you do work with a team, as your team grows, different people can specialize in different things. And I've been super fortunate in my life that the weaknesses that I know that I have, I have been able to build teams around me that um, that help me perform at my best in uh, what Matt Mochery, one of the Ur coaches in Silicon Valley, would call the zone of genius. And so in your zone of genius, if you're able to perform there for the longest amount of time possible, uh, that is really where everything hopefully comes together. Where you, you, start, you feel really good about what you do. Um, you're able to perform well and have like, you know, a, a, a asymmetrically positive, super good results. And, uh, and you have other people around you that are doing the things that they themselves also like. Amazing, man. We've gone deep with this podcast, so I really appreciate the the insights. Um, how can we find out more about you? How can we 
get hold of your book, have a look at practice yeah. and the other projects uh, you've got on. I, I've, I've worked on a lot of things over time. So practice is at practice. It's, we're on a, we're on a wait. It, you have to join, uh, maybe join a wait list and let's, let's, I'll give you a coupon for it that we'll just call it. The, the coupon will be propane. And yes. so I'm making this up now, but the people on my side will recognize it and we'll try to get you past the wait list. And so, uh, there's that on that side. On the side of uh, me personally, the place where you and I most commonly interact is Twitter, where I'm twitter.com uh, slash Julian, spelled the French way, J-U-L-I-N. And uh, Absolute world-class world shit poster. <laughs> yeah, world-class shit poster. That's true. And I'm super proud of it. <laughs> and uh, and then the book, The Flinch, you can look up. It's it's all over the place. It's deliberately given away. It's always been deliberately given away. And I'm fortunate that uh, that even today, tons of people reach out to me and, and it remains relevant. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just out there just building shit that I believe in. And, um, and I, I like what I do a lot. Amazing stuff. Julian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. It has, and thank you very much for having me. Great to close the loop after 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, fantastic. So that is a wrap. I'm going to unplug my microphone because I'm running out of battery, but mm -hmm. we'll need to keep it. Did the you charge 70 open. pounds when we talked to each other back in the day? Uh, yeah, we did. I think maybe, maybe yeah. even 60. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. I got to go to this thing, but I, to tell you the truth, I have a super good time jamming with you. If you ever decide down the line that you want to do it again in a season three or something like that, oh, let man, me know. Be amazing. I, 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 have, I have a super good time with people that are on the level and that understand a lot of things that, that, that I understand and vice versa. And that's not really the case in, in most of these things that I do. So I really, uh, anytime that you decide you want to do this, you let me know. Oh, for sure, man. I, I appreciate it. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's always great fun chatting to you. And I think yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm just loving the, the continuity of it. Cause you know, the, the flinch really had such a, such an impact on, on our lives mm -hmm. and just fast forwarding 10 years. And it's, it's just mad being able to, um, to see where, where that's taken you and the, the development since then. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I, and, and Lord knows, I, I spent a lot of time working on it, and and I feel like I lost a year of my life putting put that life essence into the book, and I yeah. feel like that's like been paid back like many fold at this point. Oh man, fantastic! Well, yeah, um, keep in touch, man, and uh, we'll speak to yeah. you soon. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run? build and scale propanefitness.com head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build propane fitness we walk through the sales systems the delivery systems follow-up remarketing how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24 7 we really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call, to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I, to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, 
why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.